Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. And if you have your Bible with you, if you would turn with me to the first psalm, psalm number one. And uh, we are going to share with you a message today that we've entitled Blessing 101, the very basics of being blessed, of walking in the blessing that the Lord affords to us. You know, if I were to begin this message with a question this morning and I were to ask you, how many of you want to be blessed? How many of you want to walk in and enjoy the blessings of God over your lives? I know that to the person, every hand would be raised, everybody would shout amen. Yes, pastor, we want to be blessed. I know that you would because your very presence here today is indicative of the fact that you are interested in the blessing of God over your life. So today as we look at Psalm 1, we're going to be looking at a prescription for a life that is blessed. But first of all, we need to understand that the blessings of God are a part of an inheritance that is reserved for the children of God. And how can we be partakers in an inheritance unless we have been born into the family? So we understand that the first step, the very first step towards living a blessed life is the step of salvation. We're going to give you an opportunity at the close of this service today, if you have not received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, to do that very thing today so that you can leave here and know that you're a child of the Most High God. Amen? So, second we might note that there is no formula for blessing that doesn't begin with faith. So as we look at the word today, I want to be sure that we understand that this is not a mechanical how-to. This is not a dry run, just do these things in a perfunctory manner in receiving the blessing of God. In fact, the passage we're about to read assumes the faith of the one that is to be blessed And it also assumes a viable relationship between those who are being blessed and the Lord. And outside of that relationship, that active, faith-filled relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we don't expect any blessing. But if you have your spot there in Psalm 1, I want you to turn with me, and we're going to read together this prescription for blessing. Now, I love this, and this is one of my favorite favorite texts in all of scripture and I am happy to be sharing this here with you Uh, but we begin here in verse 1 it says blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not, shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now to clarify 
what we're speaking about today, I want to look at that very first word there, the word blessed. Because that's what we're interested in today, in is how to be blessed. We, we want the blessing of the Lord in our lives. So this word here that's used, of course, this is an Old Testament passage written in the Hebrew. This word here, this Hebrew word here, actually carries a couple of different connotations with it. First of all, it carries the, this, it needs to be noted that this word used here for blessing is normally used in the plural sense, like multiplied blessings. It might speak of immeasurable blessings. How many of you believe that the Lord has in store for your life immeasurable blessings? He's just waiting. I believe that God wants to give us so much more, A, than we're willing to believe for, and B, than we're prepared to receive. I really believe that. I believe that that's how the Lord wants to pour into our lives. The Word says that if we give, it'll be given to us, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And I believe if we would prepare ourselves and we, to receive and position ourselves to receive and believe God, that He would pour into our lives that way, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now, we're, we're talking about that. That word also carries with it the connotation of exclamation. It's, and, and we might read this verse as follows and say, how happy is the man? How happy is the person? I believe as we place this passage, though, in the context of the whole counsel of God's word, we're going to find maybe that exclamation should be the primary and the plural is the secondary. In other words, the thing that should be most exciting to us is that we are his and he is ours. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm blessed because I know him and he knows me. Now, you say, you say why do you ask? Because if you've got Jesus... The reason I say exclamation should be the primary and the abundance should be the secondary is because if you've got Jesus, you can be happy living in a mud hut with dirt floors and without Jesus, you'll never be satisfied. It doesn't matter what you've got. So somebody says, well, can't you have both? And I, I would say, of course you can, but it's a matter of priority. It has to be a priority. The psalmist also said in Psalm 37, verse 4, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, you may find that as you delight yourself in the Lord, the, the desires of your heart begin to change. Because not only does that word uh, there that says give you the desires, not only does that is, is that used in the sense of giving sometimes, but it's also used sometimes in the sense of bestowing or imparting to you. That God not just gives us everything we want, but he gives us the want to for what we need as we delight ourselves in the Lord. And Jesus himself said concerning these things that we look to so often to provide us happiness and comfort. In Matthew 6, he says, but seek you first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You know what, I was, as I was prepping this message, I was reminded of a little song that 
we used to sing in kids' church. And uh, if I knew the melody of it real well, I would lead you all in a course of it this morning. But I'm just going to share with you the lyric. How about that? Happiness is to know the Savior, living a life within his favor. Having a change in my behavior, happiness is the Lord. Happiness is a new creation, Jesus and me in close relation. Having a part in his salvation, happiness is the Lord. Real joy is mine, no matter if teardrops start. I've found the secret, it's Jesus in my heart. Happiness is to be forgiven, living a life that's worth the living, taking a trip that leads to heaven. Happiness is the Lord. How many of you work with children? How many of you are part of our kids' men team? You work in the nursery? Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. Let me tell you something. Never, 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 never underestimate the impact of your ministry. Because I'm, I'm, when I'm preparing this sermon here, I just had a birthday last weekend, and I'm not as young as I used to be. But I had a picture of my little seven-year-old self standing amidst a group of kids and singing, Happiness is to know the Savior living a life within His favor. So never, never, never underestimate the impact of your ministry. You are sowing seeds that will abide with those young children the rest of their lives. Amen? So, so that is the key to a truly blessed life. It's, it's the peace and the comfort that is known only in knowing that I am his and he is mine. That is that is the blessing that we speak of today. And sure, others will follow, but this is the primary blessing that we all need to pursue. Now, as you and I are in the pursuit of blessings, understand this, that your adversary doesn't want you to live a blessed life. He doesn't want you to live a victorious life. He doesn't want you to live this joyous, peaceful life. But he's going to set up some roadblocks for you and there's some dangers to avoid on this pathway of faith this pursuit of the Lord's blessing and that is this along the way the psalmist mentions that there are some dangers to avoid and he says that the person who will be blessed does not and we pick it up here in verse one he says blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful now, in this verse, the psalmist offers a warning of a threefold danger for the believer to watch out for in their pursuit of this blessed state in the Lord. And it begins with walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, when we begin to talk about the counsel of the ungodly, you understand that this is a subject, this is an issue of which the world has no shortage the counsel of the ungodly abounds all around us. There, there is no shortage. It does, you know, doesn't it seem like the ungodly always uh, have something to say? They always have some counsel to offer. In fact, doesn't it seem like this world system caters to giving the ungodly platform to be able to speak 
and to be able to share their vantage point and their opinion. We as believers are told that we should be quiet, that we should just back off. It's said that we need not press our agendas on this world, but we need to gather in buildings like this and, and celebrate our little thing. And as long as we stay in here, we're okay. But once we take this outside of these walls, we need to be quiet. We need to hush. We need to pack it up. Don't, don't put that on me. We don't want any of that. But you know, the rest of the world, no matter how vile, no matter how vulgar, no matter, no matter how wicked the speech is, anybody else can go out and say whatever they want to, and it's considered freedom of speech. See, it abounds all around us, and this counsel comes to us in many ways. It may be the direct word-of-mouth consultation. It may be literature. It may be advertising. The message of our society that our society is promoting to our young people is one that promotes promiscuity as the norm, monogamy and faithfulness to one partner in the confines of a marital covenant as an outdated paradigm and alternate lifestyles as a matter of personal preference and not an issue of morality. That's what we hear all around us. Our world is inundated with messages today. They, they come over the airwaves into our living rooms. They find our way into our car through the radio. They're legislated from our nation's leadership. They're taught on the college campuses and in the schools across this land. And I want to very quickly mention something here that we're with regard to this counsel of the ungodly. Because too often we simply mention all the various Councils of ungodliness in the context of worldliness. And we spend a lot of time talking about the things of the world and how that, you know, the, the media and the, and the things that are being pushed out of Hollywood and, and these things and these things, how they are speaking and counseling ungodliness over us. But can I tell you something? You don't have to get outside of yourself to find ungodly counsel. What is ungodly counsel? It's just that. It's ungodly. It's things that are contrary to God's counsel. What has God said about you? Are you loved? Are you highly favored? Are you immeasurably blessed? Are you the head and not the tail? Are you the above and not the beneath? Have you been made more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves you? Amen. That's what God's Word says about us. Amen. But, but let me introduce you to another theological concept here, and it's not worldliness, but it's carnality. And you say, oh, pastor, I'm a, I'm a blood-bought child of God. I don't have to struggle with carnality. Well, Lord bless you. I do. And most of us do. And if you don't believe you do, you're lying to yourself. Carnality. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome says, hey, the carnal mind, to be carnally minded is enmity with God. And you're sitting here listening to my sermon today, and I'm sharing with you about how to live a blessed life and how to, how to walk in the blessing and the favor of God. But can I tell you tomorrow morning when you get up, tonight, when you lay down to go to bed, there's going to be a different sermon that's waiting for you. There's going to be a different message that is playing in your spirit and in your mind. And it's a message of defeat. It's a message of inadequacy. It's a message that you're not good enough and that nobody likes you. 
and that just the situation that you're in, it's never going to end. And if God loved you, things wouldn't be the way they are in your life and for you. And it's just defeat and discouragement and despondency over and over and over and over again. And I know that there are things in the media that speak against us and war against our minds, but our carnal mind left unchecked, left unseasoned by the word of the Lord, left unchecked by the truth of the Lord is carnal and it's enmity, it's at enmity against God. And it speaks things into our lives that are contrary to what God has spoken over us. And that is the counsel of the ungodly. It's not just it's not just the false prophets. It's not just the, the filth of, of the world that's, that's pervasive in our society. It's the unchecked thought of the carnal mind is ungodly counsel. But here's the thing. That carnal mind has got to be renewed daily and continually so that it's brought into alignment with what God has said about you. And you'll never realize true blessing until you realize true blessing. You say, well, duh. I want to say that again. You'll never realize true blessing until you're at a place where you can realize true blessing. And that realization begins with what God has spoken over your life. And recognizing that as fact for your life. I am blessed. I am saved. I am washed from sin. I am clean. I am freed in Jesus' name. I am victorious. Come on, somebody. We used to sing an old song, count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. You know, we, we get in that carnal mindset sometimes, and it's all gloom and doom. We're hung down, brung down, strung up, and all kinds of stuff. And we just feel like the whole world's against us, that our, our lives are a shamble. And we don't stop sometimes just to say, you know what? I got up this morning. I, I was just, breath filled my lungs. This is a new day of God's grace and mercy. This is a fresh experience. I'm walking in the anointing and the goodness of God. I've got food on my table. I've got a roof over my head. I've got shoes on my feet. I've got clothes on my body. I don't know of any of you that walked here this morning. Some of you, some of you, some of you are like my family. It took four or five cars to get all of you here. Come on, come on. How many of you, your whole family rode in one car? Mm-hmm. That's about the percentage I was expecting. You're blessed. You're blessed. But you got to stop and count your blessings. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and said, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Can I tell you that argument and that 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 stronghold that argument that high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God it's not something off in the heavenly somewhere wearing a cape and toting a pitchfork it's in here it's that thought of that carnal mind that is warring against the knowledge of who you are in Christ and who he is to you 
But Paul said that our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of that stronghold. You need to get your mind in a line with what God has said about you. <clears throat> now, with that as well, we need to be careful. We need to be careful what we allow into our eye gate. We need to be careful the things that we're watching, the things that we're permitting ourselves to see. We need to be careful of the things that we're allowing ourselves to hear. We need to be careful of our conversation, of our speech. I'm, I'm not discounting any of that, but I'm just telling you, let's don't discount any of that. Both the outside influences of the world around us and the inner influences of a mind that is not renewed in the Word of God by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, let me tell you this. I'm not the one who needs to set the programming schedule for your family's entertainment. I'm not going to tell you what kind of music to listen to. That's an issue between you and the Holy Spirit. But suffice it to say this, that the counsel you receive today will become the path you walk tomorrow. And you need to be careful what counsel that you're opening yourself up to. We have to be careful the counsel that we're opening ourselves up to. You know, I, I see it all the time. I see people that are happy as larks. They're just as happy as larks. And they stand around and they talk and they conversate with bitter people. And before you know it, those people that were happy as larks, well, they're bitter and disgruntled as well. Nothing's right for them either. And it happens over and over and over again. You've got to be careful because the counsel that you're willing to receive today will become the path that you walk tomorrow. And we need to be careful the counsel we open ourselves up to. It's a greatly argued fact, but Adolf Hitler's chief propaganda officer is quoted as saying, if you tell a lie big enough and repeat it long enough, people will eventually believe it. Now, now, whether or not Joseph Goebbels ever said that is still debatable, but the truth of the statement is sure because people are led down the wrong path every day by consistent, persistent, re uh, relentless lies of the enemy. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Now, the danger in walking in the counsel of the ungodly, as we stated, is that it's going to lead us down the path of the sinner. First you listen, and then you live. We come to a place where we've accepted the report of the ten, and we've shunned the voice of truth, and we believe there's nothing to do but just join in. This, this ungodly counsel says there's nothing we can do to change the tide. This must be right. This must be normal. And we come to the place of acceptance of that counsel, and we stand still. There's no blessing in the path of the sinner. Now I want you to note the progression here. It says to walk in the counsel of the ungodly and stand in the path of the sinner. Now, how many of you, you're in your living room and like the spirit of snack. See, y'all learning about a bunch of spirits here. A few weeks ago, we learned about the spirit of slap. The, the spirit of snack just comes all over you. <laughs> Amen. And somewhere, somewhere between your sofa and your refrigerator, you forget what you were going there for. 
and you just stand there and you say, what in the world am I doing in here? I went to my kitchen last night. It took me three trips from the living room to the kitchen to remember what I was going in there to get. But you just stop and you, you walk into that place and you go, what was I doing? What in the world was I even here for? And do you know if you listen, you're on your you're on your journey of faith, and you're walking the good walk, right? You're just, you just strutting along, you and Jesus. But you begin to listen to the counsel of the ungodly. Now, mind you, in Christ Jesus, you're either going forward or you're going backwards, but there's no neutral. There is no standing still. That's why it says you're standing in the path of the sinner. Now, you're, you're walking with Jesus, but you begin to, to listen to that counsel of the ungodly. Some of you are at church this morning, and you've been listening to the garbage and the lies of the adversary, and you're sitting in this place right now. You've been through an entire worship service. You're listening to the sermon. We've had communion. We've given the offering. You've listened to all of it, and you're sitting here this morning going, I don't even know why I'm here. It's like you came in here, it was almost like a trip to the refrigerator. You forgot halfway. You're just sitting there right now going, I don't even know why I'm here. My life's falling apart all around me. My kids are acting up. My car wouldn't start. My dog run away. Some of you, if we gave you a pen and paper right now you could scratch out a good country song <laughs> but you're sitting here right now and you, you've listened to garbage and lies and you're standing you just you're like in neutral the lights are on spiritually you put on your good clothes and come to church you got out of bed on a Sunday morning and started to the pantry to feast on the goodness of God and you got to the door and can't even remember anymore because you've been listening to the lies of the adversary. The warning ends with these words and says that we move from walking in the counsel of the ungodly to standing in the path of the sinners and finally we just sit down in the seat of the scornful. We can come to a place, if we're not careful, where we've received that lie in our lives. We've stood still until finally we just give up and we just sit down and we scorn the goodness and the grace of God in our lives. We balk at everything that he's done for us. I want you to notice the progression. We, first we listen, then we adopt the standard, then we find ourselves at home apart from the standard of God's word. Beware of these dangers. Beware of these dangers. The second thing I want to show you here is not the, not the dangers of, that are before us, but the delight of God's people. 
Because above all this noise of the world, if one really wants to be blessed of God, they will choose to allow the instruction of the word to drown out the counsels of the ungodly. They will not allow their feet to trod the path of the sinners. They will find no place of comfort in the seat of the scornful. But the psalmist said, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now it's largely held that that David is the author of this psalm as well as the 119th psalm. And we don't have time to read the 119th Psalm in its entirety, but if you would just take the time to do so on your own, you're going to find that the psalmist had a great love for God's Word. He had a great love for God's Word. The psalmist deals with the, the Word as a promise as a commandment, as a guide, as a testimony, a teaching, wisdom, truth, righteousness, reproof. And the psalmist expresses a deep love for God by reading and meditating upon and praying over his word. And he finally confesses in verse 77 and says, let your tender mercies come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Your word is my delight. See, the man or the woman who will lead a blessed life will not allow the counsels of the ungodly to guide their feet to the pathway of sinners, but he or she will say to the Lord, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will follow you. Let me tell you something. Let me issue this disclaimer. You won't always feel like reading your word. It won't always be exciting to you in the moment but it will always be a blessing to your life because it's not the power is not in your practice as we're going to see here in a little bit of reading the word but the power is in the Holy Spirit bringing that to life in you but it's got to be in you for him to bring it to life and bring it to light. Now, for those uh, uh, blessed by abiding in the word, it becomes their delight. To some it's boring, but to them it's blessed. To some it's dull, but to them it's a delight. To some it's fantasy, but to them it's food. To some it's information, but to them it's inspiration. You see, not many are going to take their delight in the law of the Lord, but it's, it's not a popular thing to do. But you've got to decide to move against the tide. You, you must decide to be in the minority. But those who will do so will share in a destiny. You won't always feel like it. As I said, there are going to be times when it feels like you're simply reading out of habit, but that's okay. Go ahead and get in the Word anyway because the Holy Spirit can do things in us that outpace the way we feel about certain things. And that leads us to our destiny, the destiny of God's blessed people, and that is this, Psalm 3, chapter 1, verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. Now, if you've got your notes with you on the back of your bulletin, I especially want you to write these down here because I want you to understand the picture that the psalmist is drawing for us. It's a beautiful, beautiful illustration representing the life of the believer. The Word says in Isaiah that you and I, Jesus came and ministered here on the earth that we might be trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. 
So you and I in this passage here, we are the trees. Those that are willing to tune out and turn off the voices of ungodliness and abstain from the pathway of sinners and walk in the counsel of God's Word and meditate in that and delight ourselves in that, the Word says that He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Now, the tree there is us. The roots, more specifically the soil in that picture there is indicative of the believer's Bible study. Your study habits. What, what do roots do on trees? They go down in the ground to draw out the nutrients. But how many of you know that plants don't receive nutrients out of dry ground? There's something else that's required, and that's water. And that river that's flowing there, the river there is a, is a picture of the Holy Spirit irrigating the fertile soil of the Word. See, a plant can receive nothing from dry ground. It's got to have irrigation to receive the nutrients from the ground. We need, as we're reading the Word, as we're studying, as we're immersing ourselves in the Word, we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit to receive understanding from this book. And as this happens, it says that we're going to bring forth fruit. And the Word says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control and against such there is no law and then it says this his leaf shall not wither now that leaf is a representation of our testimony a tree without leaves is one of two things it's either dormant or it's dead It's either gone to sleep or it's dead. And can I tell you something, spiritually speaking, neither one of them is a good scenario. But the word here says that the, the person that delights themselves in the law of the Lord and meditates in that word day and night, he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit and his leaf shall not wither. Now I want to tell you something, sometimes... I'm almost as much amazed by what the Word doesn't say as what it does say. It just simply, very simply states that His leaf shall not wither. That testimony of life is not going to wither. Now, it does not say what the conditions around the tree are. It doesn't say as long as the weather's mild, it's 75 degrees and sunshiny, near a cloud in the sky, that its leaf shall not wither. It just simply states, and that's what you need to understand, child of God. If you'll delight yourself in the Lord, if you'll delight yourself in that word, and allow the Holy Spirit to bring that word to life in you, Oh, your blessing is not going to be contingent on the circumstance around you. But you'll be able to stand in the heat of your trial 
with your testimony of life unfurled basking in the goodness and the mercy of God's love testifying I'm, I am pressed but not crushed persecuted but not abandoned struck down but not destroyed I've got a river of life flowing out of me I've got a river of life flowing into me His leaf shall not wither. You see, the leaf testifies to everyone who can see that there's life. For the man or the woman who delights delights in the counsel of the word, who shuns the voice of the world and allows the Holy Spirit to minister to them through the revelation of the word, there's going to be a noticeable manifestation of the life of God through them. The psalmist concludes with this pronouncement of blessing saying, and whatever they do shall prosper. See, friends, prosperity in its truest sense is being able to lay your head on the pillow at night and knowing that it is well with your soul. It's understanding the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. True prosperity is living a life for the glory of God. That is the blessed life. That is the blessed life. Now listen to me very quickly as I conclude. If you want to go ahead and stand all across this sanctuary, the psalmist ends with this contrast and says, the ungodly are not so. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You see the difference between the blessed man and the ungodly? Who are the ungodly? Well, by contrast, we must assume that these are those who have no regard for the Word of God. They're people who live their lives contrary to to the counsel of God, and they're likened to chaff. Now, very quickly for you and I, that that doesn't resonate as well as it would have with the original hearers in their agrarian society but the practice used to be that they'd go out and harvest the wheat and they'd bring the wheat into the threshing floor to separate the the husks that were around the kernels of wheat and the stems and try to get to a place where they just had that seed that was usable for food and for nourishment sustenance And they'd do all that and it would just be a big old mess of stuff. And they'd take it out and they'd put it in the middle of something kind of like a sheet. And they'd get outside and they'd give that, all that stuff a toss. And the good stuff, the kernels of wheat, they would fall back down into the blanket. And the wind would just drive that chaff away. And that's how they separated it. The Bible says that the ungodly, those who don't heed the word of the Lord, they're like chaff. Their lives lack sustenance. There's every wind of change that blows, blows them in a new direction. They found no foundation, no firm place in life. They're not rooted like a tree. It's such a stark contrast. 
those who don't regard God's revelation of himself, who have not taken heed to the instruction of his word and the voice of the spirit saying this is the way walk in it will not stand in the day of judgment that word stand means the same as rise up in other words like we read that passage from first thessalonians chapter four a bit ago that when the lord descends from heaven with a shout with the voice of god and the archangel and he calls and the dead in christ are going to rise the psalmist says here they're not going to rise They're not going to rise in that moment. So I believe in the context of this verse, we can assume that that word for judgment is making reference maybe to the rapture of the church. That's when God is going to make the ultimate distinction between the godly and the ungodly, the righteous, the unrighteous. See, the saints are going to rise up and the ungodly will not be found in that congregation. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.